0: So let me tell you how I measure a good Sunday school. When the kids go back there and say, yay, it means it's a good class. I'm pretty excited for you guys today. Wow, Justin, you got a full boat, man. You got more people back there than I got out here. That's okay. Yours are probably more well behaved, too. All right. Little joke. Nobody was listening. All right. Yeah. (laughs) This is the splash zone. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So let me share with you guys just a little bit. Have you started the video, Dan? You did? Okay, good. Let me just share with you guys a little bit about what's going on. Um, So about a month ago at the Paredes household, and I don't say this to be crass, I mean this literally, all hell broke loose. Here's what's happened over the last few weeks. About four to five weeks ago, Ethan developed these series of nosebleeds. This came out of nowhere, culminating with one that just would not stop and he went to bed with the nosebleed, woke up with the nosebleed, got a nosebleed in the middle of the doctor's appointment to find out what was going on with his nose. And have you guys ever heard of a rhino rocket? Let me explain to you what that is. It is something that, it's like a plastic tube, they insert up your nose and then they fire a, a sponge up your nose to keep it from bleeding. So we spent the evening in the ER that day. Many of you prayed for him and we appreciate that. Um, but during that whole time, the word cancer got thrown around again. And it was just one of those times where it's like, okay, trust in the Lord. Don't believe that's what it is, but we have to go through this testing. We have to make sure and rule things out, and we're praising God. Just a stressful night. Overnight, those went away. Hasn't, he, I think he's had one nosebleed since. It trickled. It wasn't even that big of a deal. Praise the Lord. He's on his way to camp this morning. Uh, Sarah's taking him down there, and uh, so pray for them and pray for me because this is the first time my boy's been away at camp, and I'm getting all the feels. Um, and so then, Ellie, if you've noticed, she has this lump on the side of her face. And it started off as this tiny bump. She's like, "Daddy, my, my face hurts." And I'm like, "Oh, it's killing me." Boom. Um, that was funny. You guys should have laughed at that. Um, but no, I'm like, oh, "Okay." And when did it start hurting? This morning, when I woke up. Oh, Okay. Well, then the next day it was like bruised, and like that's weird. So we go to the doctor. Is it a compacted salivary gland, is it a tumor? That word gets thrown around again, we're like, oh my gosh. Well, the doctor's like, uh, they do a sonogram, oh, it's just a a contusion, she must have hit it. Oh, okay. But now it's not going away, and it should have gone away, and it gets darker and lighter, and literally the doctor this week at her follow-up told my wife, I just want it to go away because I don't know what it is. And that's always fun when doctors say stuff like that, right? And we love our doctor. I'm not, I mean, she's very thorough and she was the one that that first alerted us to Ethan having cancer. She's very proactive. Love her very much. But when she says things like that, it's like, ugh. So then we get a phone call a couple weeks ago. Mom is on the verge of dying. Like, oh my gosh. And she's 3,000 miles away. And it, it, what do I do? Do I have to fly out there? Like, how bad is it? How close is it? And, And the doctor said, you know, hold off. I think, I think we're gonna be okay, but you know, be ready. And mom turns around dramatically, very cool. Um, then last night, I'm, I'm, I, all week, it was just a crazy week, the holiday and everything. And I don't normally wait this long, but so I, wait, I was last night about 10 o'clock, I started working on my message this morning. And that's when I found out there's this huge fire in California and my dad's house is super close to it. And I, like I said, I've grown up, grown up with wildfires. You guys hear about them. They're never so close to my house that I have to worry about it. This is the closest I've ever seen. And I was like, oh my gosh, my dad and what's he going to do. And on top of that, have you ever had one of those moments where you, you, you start texting and calling people, nobody responds to you I'm texting my sister. I'm, I'm, I'm texting my mom. I'm, I'm, if you guys have the Marco Polo app, I'm Marco Poloing them. Nobody's responding. I'm like, oh, I'm just picturing them all engulfed in flames and nobody's responding to me. Then my sister gets back to me. No, they think everything's going to be okay. It's close, but, you know, um, they're keeping an eye on it and that sort of thing. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. That's just the tip of the iceberg of what it's been like at the Paredes household over the last few weeks. Um, why am I sharing that with you? Not for a pity party at all. I truly do believe... That we are moving into a phase, season, whatever you want to call it. I'm not big on Christian jargon, but a season where we're kind of doing something new, new to us. The Lord, you know, when he does new things, they're his things. And, you know, for us, they're new. They're brand new. Generations have done them before us, but new for us. And I think that when that happens, I think Satan's got to turn up the fire a little bit. And I'm okay with that. Because... I believe that nothing passes through the hand of the Lord that he does not see as being good for us. When I look at Job and I look at what he went through and I look at that sort of spiritual sparring match between God and, and Satan that was really a one-sided battle. Um, I don't see God nervous. I don't see him you know, worrying about what Satan might do. I see him confident in what he is going to do in Job. And so many of you I know have similar stories right now. All of a sudden, you're sick. All of a sudden, this is going on. All of a sudden, there's no money or there's extra bills. All of a sudden, you know, marital problems. All of a sudden, this. All of a sudden, that. And I'm the last guy who says everything is Satan, but at some point, we're fighting a spiritual battle and we've got to recognize that. And so, all I, I say, that all just to say, just be in prayer, be in your word, and be together whether that's here at church, whether that's at home, whether that's out in the community, whether that's you know, at the job, whatever. Um, it's really the three biggest weapons we have or the three biggest tactics, if you will, that we have against the schemes of the enemy. The Bible says that he has schemes, plans against us. And we don't have to be afraid of them. We don't have, I'm not here to be like, oh, watch out. You know, Satan's gonna get you. I'm here to tell you, no, you have a real enemy. He goes around roaring like a lion, looking for someone to devour. That's what Peter says. And so we have to be cognizant of that. You don't have to be afraid of it, you know, in the same way that many of you, you know, any of you use power tools? You ever use a saw, uh, like a, uh, the saw, the automatic, what's that called? Circular saw, saw. thank you, men. I'll get my man card back someday. Circular saw, you know, you don't have to be afraid of that, right? But it'll take your finger off really quick, you know, you you drop it on your foot, you're going to lose a toe, that sort of thing. The guard's not on there, right? You just use it haphazardly. And uh, you're gonna be limping for the rest of your life or you know, your wife's gonna be opening up your ketchup for you for the rest of your life. So it's not about being afraid, it's about understanding the reality and then moving forward in the grace of God, amen? Okay, so that's just me sharing with you today. Not even, you know, so many other things going on but that's just the tip of the iceberg. So um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And our key verse for the day. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is good. And our goal today is nothing less than what your word says to us. What you, not what we can conjure up, not what we can kind of, Uh, mix into a message, but literally what you want us to hear today. Father, I believe that we are people of your Holy Spirit. And some of us need reminders of that in a way that is disciplinary. Some of us need that as a reminder in a way that is encouraging and others in a way that is loving. Wherever we're at, Lord, I pray that we hear that message and walk away with that truth that is in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. In this chunk of scripture that we've kind of labeled a a sermon series within a sermon series, we're getting this three-dimensional picture of what a Christian looks like. You know, we are uh, allegedly, supposedly, a part of a Christian nation. And so you look at uh, polls and they'll say, well, you know, 75, 80% of the people in our nation believe in God. And then you walk away going, wow, we must be indeed a Christian nation. But let me break that down for you just a little bit. Um, The Gnostics of this Bible believed in a God. The Muslims believe in a God. The Mormons believe in a God. Um, the, uh, The Hindus believe in a multitude of gods. The title of God is not the same as the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us what? That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, correct? But not just that they know God, but that they know a specific person with a specific name, and that name being Jesus Christ. When we face persecution, we face persecution, not because we believe in God, but we proclaim Jesus to be the God of the scriptures, the God of the universe. That when the Bible speaks of God, it speaks of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together in holy union. When you do accurate research, we find that our country is made up of deists, people who believe in a God. But when it comes to actual Bible-believing Christians, it's more like in the single digits, seven, eight, nine percent. We want to understand not what it means to be a good moral person, not what it means to be a Christian nominally or or, or on the outskirts. We wanna know what the Bible means when it says what we should be like as Christians. What do Christians do? How do they speak? How do they walk? How do they converse with other people? How do they live their lives? How do they honor God? And as you read the scriptures, you find that what we do is often countercultural. It's not the same as what the world would say. The world would say, give lots of money. And the Bible says, be sacrificial. The world would say, attend a religious service. And the Bible tells us to be a part of the body of Christ. World says, go to a specific building. The Bible says, we are the church. We as people, we make up the body of Christ. The world says children can be experimented on, can be what we make of them. The Bible says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is a man who has a quiver full of them. World says children are expendable. And we say, no, children are amazing. And they're born in sin as we were, and they're not perfect, and they're not angels come down from heaven, but, but man, babies are special. Children are great. And we, and we love them and, and we rejoice when we get new ones and uh, we, we, we are honored when you parents bring your children to this church. But in this, we're given this, you know, have you guys ever seen a 3D printer? It's like one of the newest things. It's, it's kind of becoming common technology now. You can go to the library and use them sometimes. Um, 3D printers are amazing. So a normal printer prints a two-dimensional image on a piece of paper, but a 3D printer builds stuff. Like I I watched a video once where, where they took a scan of a crescent wrench and then the machine made a crescent wrench out of this polymer plastic that was even stronger than the, the, the steel uh, or the metal crescent wrench. It made it with the moving part and everything. It was amazing. And just a matter of minutes, this thing was printed. It wasn't just the picture of the wrench on the piece of paper. It was an actual working wrench that was produced out of the material in this printer. And often we have a two dimensional picture of what a Christian should look like when in reality, because we're third dimensional, we should have a three dimensional understanding of that. We should have uh, perspectives of, of the front, back, sides, up and down of what it means to be a Christ follower. And, and just as a, a way of a spoiler, if, we're, if we don't look like Jesus, we're probably not walking after him. Those who walk after Jesus start looking like Jesus. They start talking like Jesus, not because they, not because they put on a front or because they learn all the, all the vocabulary, but because they start hanging out with him. We've seen this happen in the negative, right? You get a new job and a new group of people and they have a way of talking. Soon enough, you start talking like them, right? I worked in a toothpaste factory, never called anybody boss a day in my life, not even my actual bosses. But everybody there would say, hey, boss, I need this. Hey, boss. And sure enough, soon enough, I started saying, hey, boss, I need this signature. I need this. Do you got that palette, boss? Can you go grab that for me? What? Adapted to that way of talking because I was with and in communion with those people. And so we just, by side effect, by, by n- the natural order of things, we begin to speak and talk and act like Jesus as we are in communion with him as we talk with him, as we pray to him, as we read his word, as we're in communion with other Christians. We don't put it on. I mean, some people do. Some of of God's people do that because they don't know what else to do. But I tell you, if you go in with an open heart and you go in with open eyes and you you just read the word and you're just in prayer with the people, eventually you start acting not like the church, you start acting like Jesus. And the Bible gives us a three-dimensional picture of what that's like. I like that. I learned from watching. Give me the instructions all day long. Let me see a picture of it being done and I'll get it done. A friend of mine this week, I I helped put together a table saw. Big, huge manual on how to put together. And guys, how many of you have done this? You just find the pictures. Okay, it should look like that? Okay. And sure enough, got it put together. Didn't read one instruction. Hopefully, everything works out for them in their table saw. (laughs) In hindsight, I'm I'm realizing, wait, maybe this isn't as good a story as I thought it was. (laughs) Um, but, (laughs) but at the end of it, I turned it on, everything ran, you know, everything seemed to be, nothing's rattling, nothing's falling off. All right. Because I, I, for me, the way my brain works, if you give me instructions, you're like place bar a on, you know, socket B and I'm already lost. Like, just let me see the picture. Oh, okay. I see that goes there. That goes here. That's not working. Oh, there's another picture that helps me out. You know, there's things I've, I've tried to, to learn how to do. I go on YouTube. And see a guy who, who's done it already. Oh, that's what that looks like? Oh, okay. I had to fix my dryer a while back. And one of the things I was most afraid of was just breaking the dryer. Like it was the motherboard burnt out inside of it. So all you had to do was just take the top off and put this thing. And I pictured myself like just breaking the whole thing. But once I watched the video and I saw the guy do it and it just popped off release, I'm like, oh, oh okay, I, I, can, I can do that. That's how much pressure you need to do. And it just pops right off and worked out. I'm a visual learner and maybe you're a visual learner. If you're not a visual learner, this isn't about right or wrong. I'm just sharing with you how I learn. For me, when the Bible begins to get more detailed about how, what it looks like for somebody who follows Jesus, it, it gives me that mental image of what I'm to strive for. And so here's what we know. First of all, we know. And again, remember John's uh, attack, if you will, is, is first to preach the gospel, then, but then to go after the false teaching of the Gnostics. And last week, I encouraged you to find, uh, to see if the teachings that you've believed, if, if that which you've kind of given your life over to, is it, is it Gnostic in nature? Just meaning, is it a false thing? Is it actually biblical? I'm not asking you if a charismatic leader gave it to you. I'm not asking you if it feels right. I'm not asking you if it came out of a, a book from a well-known author. What I'm asking you is, is it, is it what the Bible says? If it's what the Bible says, then that's good. Is it what the Bible preaches in context? Meaning, meaning it's not just one scripture ripped from the the, the the word to support an idea. Often that's what teachers do. They'll say, I like this idea, so I got to find a verse that supports it. Oh, okay, there you go. I found one that supports it seemingly. Just do a little investigation. You find out that's not what that scripture says. It's like if, you're, if your wife says to you, and I know men, none of us men here have ever had this happen. Wife says, Go ahead and do what you want. Does that really mean go ahead and do what you want? No. And the Lord's not being like that. That's not what I mean when I'm using that as an example, that in that we have to understand the context of what's being said, the conversation. We have to understand what's happening. That's just simple conversation between a husband and a wife. Now we're talking about speaking between a God and his creation. And so we wanna make sure that we don't take things out of context and use it for our own end and and then say, you know, oh, well, the end justifies the means. No, 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 the end does not justify the means. The end just shows us whether we're holy or not. But John says that we can know. We can know these things. Gnostics said, no, you can't know. Only a select few will know. Only by special knowledge and revelation will you know. And John says, no, you all can know. Every one of us here today can know. We come from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different educations, all that. But all of us have the same access to the same information as the Christians that John is addressing, the Christians in the 2,000 year sense, and the Christians that'll come after us. And John says that we know the spirit. If I were to ask you, what does a spirit-filled Christian look like? Many of you would say, speak in tongues, slain in the spirit, various charismatic, quote unquote, Pentecostal expressions of being spirit filled. But the Bible doesn't speak of being spirit filled as those things. Now I'm not here to preach against those things. I'm not saying those are false things. I was brought up in a Pentecostal church. I always tell people I'm as Pentecostal as the Bible. I'm as reformed as the Bible, I'm as, you know, I'm as this as the Bible. If the Bible says it, then, then yes. But if it's the creation of man or the theory of man, then I, I deal with it with an open hand. I go, okay, well, well I'm gonna be cautious. Being spirit-filled will lead to things like speaking in tongues, prophetic words. I mean, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14. It speaks at length to those things. However, a spirit-filled Christian, according to 1 John chapter 3, has some earmarks that we can look for. Number one is we lay down our life for others. Verse 16 says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's not just do better. It's the spirit of God fills you to do this thing. If you want to be the type of person who lays down your life for somebody else, not just somebody you like, because we can all do that, but for somebody who you would deem unworthy of that sacrifice. Because remember, that's what Jesus did. And that's what John's saying. Be like Jesus. He laid down our life for us when we were unworthy, when the Bible says we were ungodly. And that's what a spirit-filled Christian does. If you want to be that type of person, you must be filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 18 says that we love not just in word, we love in word, but we also love in action or in deed. Verse 18 says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We we so often, we go one way or the other. We'll love, but we don't say the right words. Some of you husbands, especially, you know, my wife knows she loves me because of the things that I do, but you never say it. And there's other guys, you say it all the time, but your actions don't back it up. We have gotta be on the same page. Actions and words working together, symbiotically, in conjunction. My words confess it, my actions prove my confession. Well, I love Jesus, I just never go to his church and I never read his word and I'm, I'm never in prayer and I'm always saying bad things on Facebook about it. Well, then you don't love Jesus, you just love the idea of Jesus or, or what Jesus gives you, or I don't even know why you'd even be on Jesus' team at that point. Like, I don't, I, I love McDonald's. I just never eat there, and I bash them on Facebook all the time. like, no, you don't love that thing. Our, our love must be expressed not just in words, but in our actions. So when we say that we love the world, it's in the same way that God so loved the world, or we're attempting to love in that manner, a sacrificial love. So somebody needs something, well, okay, we're gonna figure out a way to get that done. I can't do everything, but I can do something, right? You can't do everything, but you can do something. And sometimes somebody comes to you and says, we're getting a divorce, it's cancer, there's no more money, and you're just like, I got nothing, but I've got prayer, and I've got a shoulder, and I've got words, and I've I've got time, and I will give those things to you. Some of you, the Lord has blessed you financially, and you find out people are in need, and so you give. And you do so secretly and nobody else knows about it. And that's a good thing. Some of you, you have talents and you're like, Pastor Tony, you know, I want to, I can do this or I can do that. Can you use me in some way? And I'm like, yeah, okay. We can we'll find a space for you. We can do something for you. Because love requires action. We can say we love something all day long, but our actions will prove what we truly love. The truth of God's word will override self-condemnation. Verse 819 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, for he knows everything. I love this verse. Let me just kind of unpack it just real briefly. Sometimes our hearts condemn us, right? The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8 and 1, I believe. I could be wrong, but pretty sure. So where does that condemnation come from? Sometimes it's just from us. Satan will attack and accuse. The world will say you're no good. And we'll just, at some point, we start condemning ourselves. It's not from God. It's our own heart condemning us. And the word says that, look, we have what God has said and that overrides what our heart says. And it says God knows our heart. See, We sometimes hear that in like the affectionate way, like, oh, God knows our heart. He knows our best efforts, but here's here's the thing. He knows the darkest, dirtiest, wrongest parts of our heart as well. The part that we keep hidden, the part that nobody else sees, The, the place that we let few people get into, he knows that too, and yet still does not condemn you. He knows your proclivities, your sin. He knows everything about you down to the microscopic DNA of your body. He knows everything, yet still chooses to love you. And we know there's things that we won't even admit about ourselves and that causes us to condemn ourselves. Church, spirit-filled Christians override that feeling or that emotion or that self-condemnation by the truth of God's word. Were we ungodly? Yes, the Bible says that before Christ, we were ungodly, but Christ died for us, that he so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. One of the reasons why we read the word of God is, is to know God, but to know what he thinks about us. To know what he, not just what he expects of us, but how he sees us. And how he sees us is affected by whether or not we're in Christ or not. If you are in Christ, he sees his son, whom he loves. He sees his righteousness as your righteousness, but... Apart from him, he sees you and says that your righteousness, your self-righteousness, that dark part of your heart, all that, without Christ, you're separate. You're, 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 You're spiritually dead and we must give our lives to Christ as a result. And verse 22 says this, that prayers will be answered. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him you don't normally hear that second part. You don't normally hear keep his commandments and do what pleases him. You always hear whatever you ask you're gonna receive. Because the other part messes up the false doctrine of you just tell God what to give you and he has to give it to you. That God's a big cosmic vending machine or Santa Claus and you just make the list and he checks it twice and then he gives you whatever you want. But you know as well as I do, sometimes we want stupid things. How many of you have prayed for a spouse before the spouse you have now? How many of you prayed for kids when you weren't even ready to take care of a pet or a house plant? How many of you prayed for a job at a company that ended up going bankrupt or out of business? Sometimes we have good prayers, but sometimes we have short-sighted prayers. We don't see the whole equation. And then we ask for things and we don't get them. We're like, oh, I didn't get it. God doesn't love me. And it's like, wait a minute. God knows. God knows what you need and what's best for you. One of the things I always remind my wife, we, we get, you ever get behind a slow driver? Drives you insane, right? I always picture an accident, something way far ahead, and the Lord's just put this you know, 120-year-old person in front of me to just drive super slow so to keep me and my family safe. And that, that's kind of how I keep cool in the car when I'm driving. And I try to tell my wife the same thing. And if she's not driving, it's easier. And if she is driving, it's not quite as easy. But I go, I go you know, we don't know. We, we only see so much. There's so many other moving parts in this world that we can't anticipate that we don't, we could never even calculate. And so we have to at some point trust in the sovereignty of God, but sometimes those prayers get answered. And that's, I wanna talk about that for a moment because I am very, uh, I don't wanna say good at, cause that sounds boastful. I'm very adamant, I preach a lot on the fact that we as Christians will suffer. Raise your hand if you've heard me preach on that at least once. Some of you have been here for like five weeks and you've already heard it, okay? Why? Because the Bible is emphatic about it. The Bible speaks to that, that Christians will suffer, especially for the name of Jesus. And the world is like, no, if you get on Jesus' side, everything will be fine. And so I I find this this war, we gotta, no, we gotta combat that false doctrine with the true doctrine that, that indeed Christians will suffer, things will happen that will hurt. You will not like them. You will pray that they would go away. But we shouldn't be surprised that they're happening. And for me, It's like when you go in for the root canal, if somebody sprung on you a root canal, that'd be a horrible day and it's also a horrible dentist. And what kind of life are you living where somebody's springing a root canal on you? But you know, you get prepared. For me, I'm sitting in the chair, I'm like, okay. By the way, came this close to a root canal, never had one done. But I'm sitting in the chair and they're like, okay, we're gonna do one of two things. I'm gonna drill, we're either gonna pull the tooth or we're gonna do a root canal. And I'm like, pull the tooth, I don't even care. Um, but we're going to drill down then we're going to find out because I might be able to uh, salvage or whatever. Okay, okay. But in my chair, I'm saying, okay, okay, it's nine o'clock in the morning. By 12 o'clock, this will all be over. I know that this is not going to be fun. They're going to cane, They're going to put the needle in, which that in and of itself is no fun. And then he's going to start drinking. You're going to smell the burntness and it's like, it's going to be horrible. I'm going to suffer, but I know it comes to an end eventually. And I'm literally like, I'm gripping the sides of the thing and my feet are, my toes are all curled up in my shoes. I'm just like, and the doctor's trying to talk to me and I have a great dentist too. Like I'd brag on him all day, but just don't talk to me. Just do your work. (laughs) When we know that the suffering will happen and we know that there's an end to that suffering, we can endure and persevere. And all the more so when it's suffering in the name of Jesus and we know that God is in control of that moment that you are in of suffering. But here's the thing, we don't only suffer. And I'm gonna ask you a question that I never pictured myself ever asking you because I've heard it asked before and it always sounds corny and hokey and weird and I always wanna punch the guy who's saying it. Are you ready for your blessing? Here's what I mean by that, let me unpack that. We prepare for suffering, but do we prepare for when God is going to bless us, answer our questions, bring to us a desired outcome that, hey, we wanted that too. Are we ready? Do you know how many people are successful and aren't prepared for success and they end up worse than they started off? There are television programs dedicated to following the lives of people who won hundreds of millions of dollars in the lottery and lost it all. Why? Because they were not prepared for that type of financial windfall or success. There was nothing in place to be ready for when something actually happened. And I don't blame or fault them. I mean, who'd be ready for that, right? Hey, you just, (laughs) okay. Robert raised his hand. (laughs) But people come out of the woodwork and all of a sudden you've got a lot more relatives than you ever knew about and everybody's your best friend and every organization wants you to be, uh, to to fulfill your philanthropic dreams. You're you're giving dreams. I I can't say that word. Um, It's the same thing when people start businesses. Have you ever heard of the game Flappy Bird? Game Flappy Bird was here for like five minutes then gone, almost as fast as Pokemon Go. Flappy Bird was this game. It kind of looked like Mario. It was 8-bit anima— kind of like my shirt. 8-bit animation. You're this little bird with all these pipes, and you had to go in between the pipes. And you tap the screen, the bird goes up. You tap the screen, the bird goes up. And you tap the screen, the bird goes up. Hours on end. And the guy made the game, and by the end of the weekend of its release, it was the best-selling game, most successful game that had come out in a really long time. And by, like, the Wednesday of that next week, that guy said, I'm never making another game again. Why? He had people clamoring. Make another game, make another Flappy Bird. Come on, man, this, this, in this tech world, you gotta, be, you gotta be happening. You gotta be doing stuff quick, quick, quick. And he said, no. Why? He wasn't prepared to succeed. He wasn't prepared for anybody to look at his little Flappy Bird game and say, I gotta download it right now. After that game, after they stopped updating it, you could go on Craigslist and eBay to buy old phones that had Flappy Bird installed on it for like three, four, five hundred $500. If there's any evidence of the depravity of humanity, that is your case study and you need no further evidence that somebody would spend that much money on a phone because it has a game you can't download anymore. But I digress. I've done a really good job, I think, or or at least I've, I've put my best foot forward to teach you what the word says about us inevitably suffering, that at times we will suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. But I'm here to remind you that there are times where God is going to bless you and we have to be ready for that as well. Turn to James chapter five. And we're studying this on Wednesday nights and and, and on Wednesday nights, a couple Wednesdays ago, I was preaching this and I felt that the Lord wanted me to share this with you as well. And I was like, okay, because I really think this is an important concept, if you will. James chapter five, verse 13 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Doctrine of suffering, right? Let him pray. If you're suffering, get that later. If you're suffering, then there's a response that's desired. Pray about it. Pray through it. Pray for those who are suffering. Pray for it to go away. Pray for you to be delivered from it. Pray that you would learn from it. I mean, pray all the prayers when you are suffering. Next verse. Is anyone cheerful? Let him praise. We can probably count, let me rephrase that. The times of being cheerful probably are outweighed by the times where we are sorrowful, right? There are just times of great distress in life. And it's not that life is always bad, there's good times too. But the bad sometimes outweighs the good. But that doesn't mean the good does not exist. And there's a, there's a desired response to when things go the way that maybe we didn't anticipate and it's good. When the, the raise comes through, when the diagnosis is not cancer, when, when the cancer's gone, the chemo worked, or, or there was a miracle and it's gone now. When the marriage turns around and now you guys love each other again, like you did when you first got together you've been trying to have kids forever and then all of a sudden you're pregnant? You, you, sometimes God answers our prayers in a way that we're just gonna rejoice. We're gonna, we're gonna stand up and we're gonna say, yes, God's hand was in this. God did, and are we ready to praise him? Because here's the thing about, about things going well, we tend to forget God when things start going really well. When things are hard, God is right there, isn't he? Like, oh God, what is going on? This hurts so bad, I need you, I need you to do something. I mean, But then things start getting easier, like okay, yeah, I'll talk to God tomorrow. You know, There's just no pressure, there's no, there's no fire to keep us going back to him. And, and James says, look, when you are cheerful, there's a way to respond. Not just, not just revel in the cheerfulness, praise God for it. And here's what I mean by that. I don't just mean, oh hey God, good job. It means live a life of praise towards God. Every moment of every day is a moment to rejoice and to praise God for what he is doing. And there are times where we will do it through gritted teeth, meaning, meaning we are in such pain and anguish, but we will look and we'll see that the Lord is good And sometimes it's easy. And in those times of ease, we have to be as diligent as in those times of suffering. So when I say, are you ready for your blessing? I don't mean God's coming to give you exactly what you want right now. And if you've heard that, you have been paying attention every other time I've ever preached. What I mean is there will come a time where God answers your prayer and he'll answer it in his way. And maybe... You've followed his commands and you've loved his church and you've loved others and what you've desired is just that what he wants. You're like, God, you do whatever you want, man. I'm not here to tell you what to do. What do you want done in this situation? What's my part right now? And then you do it and you're like, yeah! God did that! Jesus is still on the throne. And you just, you have gotta be ready because that's when we get blindsided. We start selling... Super Bowl, it's a football reference. If you don't know football, you can check out for just a minute. Super Bowl 26, 27, Cowboys and Buffalo Bills, the first one, not the second one. Leon Lett, 320-pound defensive lineman, picks up a fumble from like 70 yards from the the touchdown, and he's running. If you've ever seen a 320-pound man run, it's a beautiful thing. Just watching him run. And and about the 15-yard line, he starts celebrating. Puts, his, puts the ball down like this, and he's just strutting into the end zone, slows down a little bit. What he didn't know is that, like, all 175 pounds of Don Beebe, wide receiver of the Buffalo Bills, was just tearing after him, full of pride, just, I'm not letting this happen if it's in my control. And At the very last minute, slides and whacks the ball out of his hand. No touchdown for Leon Latt. Why? Because he started celebrating 15 yards before he got to the end zone. Because he let his guard down. Because he didn't know that there was a guy following that. Nobody was like, hey, Lee stop. And he missed out on scoring a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Of all the places to tor- score a touchdown, by all the positions, if you guys don't know, defenders don't normally score touchdowns. So this was a big moment. Billions of people watching around the earth. And what do they remember? Leon Let fumbling the ball at the one yard line because Don Beebe knocked it out of his hand. And what happens to us? We, things go well and things don't hurt. So we just forget about God. And Satan comes up and bam, we're just not ready. We weren't ready. We've lost our focus on God hey, bad things were happening. We were talking to God every day. We were reading his word. We were at Bible study, but then things start going good. And oh uh, well, you know, I'm tired tonight. Had a late supper and, you know, I'll go next Sunday and, uh, you know, I'll thanks Lord for my provision. You know, I'll pray a little more later. And, uh, you know, I read two chapters yesterday, so I'll read two chapters tomorrow and just things get easy and you ease off the pedal. And so it's not about adjusting or fluctuating your your intensity, it's about being intense for the Lord constantly. Oh, I'm sorrowful, I'm in prayer. I'm cheerful, I'm praising God. I'm ready for when it's time to suffer, I'm ready when it's time to celebrate. I'm ready when it's time of victory, I'm ready for a time of defeat. I'm ready when I'm filled with joy, I'm ready when I'm filled with fear. I'm ready when things feel good, and I'm ready when things hurt. See, it's not enough to just be ready for suffering. We must be ready for both. We must be ready for what the Lord is about to do. Because honestly, how ready can we be? I think about the people who marched around the walls of Jericho, you know? A lot of bad sermons about that. Here's what I get from that though. Did they actually see the walls falling down? Like what I mean is, could they envision it as, as it was gonna actually happen? Like. I wonder if they talked about it afterwards, like, oh, God says the wall's gonna fall, you know, we just gotta keep doing what God told us to do. And I wonder how it actually looked when it happened. When when they blew those shofars and everything started shaking and crumbling and then it started falling, like I can only imagine that it dwarfed what their mind could imagine when they actually saw it happening. And it wasn't enough to just say, yeah, the walls fell down. There was a plan for when that happened and they had to do so. And sometimes God will have you go and those walls will come down. Very next battle is the battle of Ai. What happens? Ah, they mess up. They don't do what God says. God says, hey, take all the spoil and dedicate it back to me, all of it. Don't take any of it for yourselves. It was a small town. It wasn't even a big battle victory. It was just, but they lost because there was a guy in their camp who stole something and took it for himself and buried it. and they weren't ready for that either. Church, you're going to suffer, but you're also going to live in tremendous blessing. And we must be ready for both because Satan sees both as an equal opportunity to go after you. And if we drop our guard, whether times are good or bad, we're not gonna be ready. Now, I'm going to move into First John chapter uh, 4, verse 1. Beloved, now he says that we can know we are of the Spirit. Spirit-filled people do these things. Spirit-filled people will be filled to do these specific actions, but not every spirit is the Holy Spirit. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, Uh, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Some people think it's enough to be spiritual and not religious. There's a lot of bad spiritual. There's a lot of bad spirit out there. And again, we don't have to be afraid of it. We just have to be cognizant. We have to be on our guard. We have to say, okay, okay. John says, look, not every spirit is from God. You have to test those spirits. You gotta find out what's happening. What are you feeling? What are you hearing? Is that of God? Is that his voice? Is that what he wants you to do? Is that what his word says that you should do? Why? Because many false prophets have got out into the world. You know where false prophets go? They don't go to the marketplace. They don't go to the workplace. They go to the church. Because so often in the church, you have people whose guards are down And somebody comes in and has the right vocabulary and the next thing you know, everybody's following some weirdo, pseudo spirituality, but they're not following Jesus. But how do we know that? I mean, I'm not here to call out anybody or to start a witch hunt. Who's the, you know, who's the, who are the bad people? Let's find them. No, no, no. John lays it out pretty clearly. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Two things. Number one, the Gnostics preached that Jesus was not of the flesh, that he was only spirit. What does that mean? That means his body sacrifice did not atone for your sin. Okay? There are some who still hold to that theory to prove that that's why Jesus, you know, was still alive after three days, but that sin death is not defeated without an actual physical death in the place to satisfy God's wrath. But here's what it also tells us. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. What it tells us is that what we believe matters. This is not an issue of semantics, meaning, you know, I say God, you say Jesus. We're both saying the same thing. No big deal. No, no, no. What we believe specifically that the word of God says directly affects how we live our life. If we have a general understanding of God, but we don't have a specific understanding, meaning we don't have both of them working together, we miss the whole picture. Not all spirits are good. There are spirits that God sends. There is the Holy Spirit of God. There are demonic spirits. Satan is a spirit. He was a created being that has fallen from, uh, from grace, if you will. what we believe matters because what we believe determines our direction. Going back to the self-condemnation, when we're self-condemning, when we believe sort of what our own hearts are saying against us, it just affects how we live, right? If If you see yourselves as ugly or stupid or not enough or to this or to that, it affects everything about you, right? If you don't think that you're smart enough or strong enough, you don't go after the new job. Well, why would they choose me? Um, they would never choose me. And if they did, I'd just mess it up anyways. You may not pursue that relationship with a friend or, or, or maybe even a potential spouse. Maybe you're married and you're know, like, I, 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 wow, they're just gonna leave me anyways. Why do I even bother? What we believe will determine our direction and where we go. We're just people pulled by this gravitational force of what we believe. If you believe that this country is filled with opportunity, you end up finding opportunity. And, and please, this is not the law of attraction. This is not the secret. This is not, you know, it's none of that. It's just what you're focused on, you go towards. I, I see that proven every time I drive. Every time I see a guy who, who needs to turn that way, and his head turns that way, excuse me, he needs to go that way, but he looks that way and his car goes with it. Hey, what's that over there? And the car goes with it. I mean, that's just, that's just silly, but that's what happens, right? When you, when your mind, you ever get a new car and before you got that new car, you never saw that car anywhere, but then you get a new car and you see them everywhere. It's like everybody has that car all of a sudden. You're like, what the heck? Your focus is different. Your mind is ready for that image and you start seeing it everywhere. Like, oh my gosh, everybody has a K car. It's crazy. When we are focused on Christ, when we are focused on God's word, we must be specific about it. What does the Bible say? What does it say? John is going after what the Gnostics said by what God has said. When Jesus is tempted in the desert, he doesn't go after Satan, he just quotes back what the word of God says to Satan. Church, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to hide. We don't have to start some weirdo, you know, demonic, uh, uh, ministry where we go with a cross on a pole and holy water and start casting things out, you know? When demonic forces come, you pray, you seek God. Cause, cause they don't quake at you. The Bible says that the demons know the name of Jesus. This is James speaking and they shudder. It's the name of Jesus that they're afraid of. When he's speaking in the temple and there's a demon possessed person, they start freaking out. Why? Oh, Jesus, you know, son of David, son of man, don't you know, cast me out. Don't do this, don't do that. They start freaking out because the real power showed up. If you're in your own power, you can go to the book of Acts and you can read about a guy who's trying to cast out demons and he gets beat up by the demons. And you're like, I think the Bible's boring. You need to read more parts like that because the Bible's not boring. Oh, sure, sometimes when it's like, don't do this, like, and then uh, this person begat that person. Okay, I'll give you that one. But we read stories like that and you're like, what? Guy got beat up? by demons and, and they fought and they saw it and people like recorded this and were like, yeah, that's what happened. Like, oh my gosh, that really happened. But what we believe is important because it directs how we live our life. How you love your spouse, how you love your kids, how you love your church will all be directly in response to what you believe the word of God tells you. And this is why we so adamantly keep reminding you that God loves you. Because if you will remember and keep at the forefront of your mind that God loves you, that he has chosen you before the foundations of the earth, he knew you. Then all the things we go through, okay, it's all gonna work out. I can trust him. As the psalmist said, I can trust him because he's always dealt wonderfully or bountifully with me. I can't guarantee you an easy road from here on out. I can guarantee you Jesus will not leave you nor forsake you in the midst of it. And you will come out the other side. You you will come out the uh, the other side of that spiritual root canal, stronger, better, and more equipped as a Christian. You will indeed be a spirit-filled Christian. And that's what we want for you. So I wanna pray for you now. Everybody stand up and let's pray together, okay? Church, we love you and we love serving you. And this was kind of like a spiritual warfare type of a thing. Like I didn't really premise it with that, but honestly, spiritual warfare really boils down to get closer to Jesus and everything works out in the end. Um, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the Lord would develop a hunger in you for his word and for his people and for community. I want to pray that the Lord would develop a hunger in you, uh, not just to be ready for when suffering comes, but when blessings come as well, when they come as well. Father, we praise you. I thank you that we're not just a people of suffering, but we're a people of blessing as well that we don't just have to look at the hard times and think, just get us through this, Lord. But there are actually times of coming of great peace. There are times that will come that will actually be comfortable and feel good, that we'll rejoice and that we'll celebrate. And it may not happen to all of us at one time, but we'll we'll rejoice with others and we'll mourn with other people and we'll live the full life of a spirit-filled Christian, not just fractions of it or pieces of it. Father, I pray that we would know the spirit of God, not because he's elusive or hard to find or, or, or you know, we have to curry his favor or entice him, but we would know the spirit of God because you have given us the spirit of God and he has expressed through us as we love, as we, as we go after, as we serve, as we are a part of this body that you have called us to. And so Lord, we speak against the lies of the enemy that would cause us to condemn ourselves. What a horrible trick that Satan can get us to condemn ourselves, that our flesh would uh, agree with him rather than what the word of God has said. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would indeed know our hearts as your word has said and that we would trust in what you say rather than what our own hearts say, rather than what Satan says and what the world might say. And in all these things, may you be glorified. May you root out of our lives, Lord, the false spirits, the spirit of antichrist, the, the, the Gnostic spirit from our life, Lord, that we may adhere to the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, the one who has been sent by you to fill us to love the world, to love each other, and to love you. And may Jesus be glorified in that. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Let me read to you one last thing. The Christian and the Christian alone has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, that he may abide, dwell, and take up residence in you to live the life Jesus died to give you. We believe this.